today we start this series answering questions that you have asked. And Jesus did this from time to time. In fact, a lot of his statements and even some of his most well-known talks and statements uh, flowed from questions that the audience would ask. So over the next few weeks, we're answering uh, your questions. How do I handle stress? How do I share my faith? How do I forgive? How do I build strong family relationships? And how do I change? Uh, but your number one most asked question by far was how do I deal with difficult people? And uh, I'm hoping to help you with that today. Also wrote up some talk it over notes uh, that may help you a little bit uh, deeper if you were to talk those over with your small group or family or somebody. Um, but uh, why is this the most asked question? I've just been thinking about this. Why by far would this be the most asked question? And I think it's because people problems are the worst kind of problems, amen? People problems are the worst kind of problems because there's this unreliable variable that you're working with or against, and it can drive you crazy. Um, it just this, makes this tenseness, and you just feel anxious on the inside, and people problems are the worst kind of problems. And as a young pastor, I've been reading through First and Second Timothy over the summer, and uh, the term difficult people actually shows up in Paul's letter to Timothy. I knew this, was ser this sermon was coming, and when I read it, it was just like I applauded God that he knew what I was going through and he knew what you were going through. And the exact term that we're even using to open up this series is in the Bible. Look at it with me, 2 Timothy 2. Again, I say, don't get involved in foolish, or ignorant arguments that only start fights. A servant, we talked about the heart of a servant last week, of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, be able to teach, and be patient with who? Difficult people. Difficult meaning harsh or hard. One translation saying someone that annoys us. Someone that annoys us. Someone that's being annoying. There's lots of different harsh or hard or annoying people in our lives. But I want to give you a caution before I list out some of the type of difficult people in our lives. And that is that just because someone has done is, is one of these things one time, or they've done something that you don't like, or they've made a decision or two that you disagree with, I wouldn't necessarily want you to paint them with a brush as a difficult person in your life. And I'm just speaking from experience that there have been people in my life that, man, they made a decision I disagreed with, or, or did something that rubbed me the wrong way, and then it was like they could do no right in my eyes. It was just, they, I mean, they could have come, they could have given me a hundred bucks and I would have found some way that that would upset me because I painted them with this, they're a difficult person. And I, I don't want you to do that today just because someone has done one or two things or, or been like this maybe uh, once or twice in your life. But, but here are the different types of difficult people that we have in our lives. And the first type of difficult person is one who is demanding. And I'm going to give you a word picture with each one of these that you could actually, you know, uh, doodle and draw next to it. Or if you just want to write out the word hammer, they're a hammer. They're pushy, pushy. They're intimidating. They're aggressive. They just come down on you and, and they make demands on your life and your schedule and your time that, that you just can't meet or, or live up to. And it's extremely difficult. Another type of difficult person is one who is disapproving, disapproving, and they're picky, 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 they're nitpickers, and um, man, they're just critical and judgmental, and 
Maybe they, they're always going above and beyond and, and you could just never measure up. You meet them for, you know, a 6 a.m., 7 a.m. breakfast or, or, or coffee and they've already been up for the day. They've made their own soap. They're doing amazing things. You know, they ran a half marathon while pushing a stroller. And you're like, I haven't even combed my hair yet. And uh, I've got my hair up in a scrunchie or I'm wearing a hat. Because how are you even, how are you doing this? And, and maybe they come back and they're nitpickers towards you. And the third kind of difficult people are deafening people. They're the megaphones of life. And they're, they're speaking at 120 decibels nonstop. And you're trying to get a word in edgewise, and every time you think it's your turn to jump in, no, they keep going. And, and you don't, their idea really isn't the best idea, but let's just go with it so I can get off the phone. Let's just, I need to go outside and experience some fresh air, so fine, we'll have it your way. And then there's the destructive people, and these are the volcanoes of life, and we live in fear of the next time they're going to erupt, and they're so unpredictable, but you know, at some point they're going to blow and they're going to erupt and they're actually turning green and they're just destructive. And then next are the discontented and, uh, and they get their feelings hurt so easy, don't they? I mean, it's just everything. They're very touchy, very thin skinned. Um, they're the crybabies of life because they're chronic complainers. They have a victim mentality. Same thing that happens to them happens to everybody in life, but for some reason for them, it's, it's different. It's like, it's just so much worse for them. And then the sixth kind of difficult people are demeaning people, and they're the bubble busters because you never feel filled up when you leave them. You're drained, and they just deflate life out of you. And these difficult people, man, they see life differently, don't they? They just live in a different reality. You're living in this, in this reality, and, but by time the reality gets to them, by time information gets to them, by time the conversation gets to them, it's just because they see life through a different lens, it, they respond differently. So, so I brought some different lenses, and, and one are these, these magnifying glasses, and some people are living life, and they're, they're living and they're looking through these glasses and where everything is just, it's magnified, and so it's distorted. And so by the time it gets to them, it's to, it could have even been a good word, an encouraging comment, but by the time it got to them, it, it's distorted, and, and now, what, what, what just happened? Or you tell them something the same way you told everybody else, but by the time they heard it, when it got to them, it was distorted, and I just get dizzy and nauseated with these things, but there's, there's this other kind of person who lives life and they look through layers of offense. And it's just one layer of offense after another. And you can't get anywhere with them because there's just always another layer to, to peel off. And so you, you, just when you think you're starting to get somewhere with them, no, uh, no, there's more, no, there's more. And you just never get off the starting block. And then and then you think it's over. No, it's not. It's over. They come back and there's more. There's, there's more. And then I think we all struggle with this one a little bit. And it's the me, myself, and I lens where I just, I thought this was about me. And uh, you're telling them something and they're saying like, well, well I, no, I thought this was about, this was about, oh, this is about you. No, it's really about me. And then you share with them news. You give them news. Maybe something tragic happened to someone else, but they're like, well, how does this affect me? 
and it's just all about them all the time. And if you're ever having a bad week, just wear these to the board meeting. And uh, if these were prescription, I'd preach the whole sermon in these. But, uh, but those are the kind of difficult people, and that's the way that they see life. But I need you to know today that this is much bigger than just personality differences. Okay, people problems run a lot deeper than just personalities and, and the way they look at life. Ephesians 6 tells us that this war that we're in is not against flesh and blood. It's much deeper, much bigger than that. And the Apostle James put it this way, in James 4, what is causing the quarrels and fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? You want what you don't have, so you scheme and you kill to get it. You are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and wage war to take it away from them. Yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You only want what will give you pleasure. And the cause of the struggle that we're in every day The cause of people problems, write this in, is sin, shame, and selfishness. That's the cause. It's what it comes from. So I think obviously you and I could admit today that in certain situations and at certain times, we're the difficult ones. Because we have sin, we have shame, we have selfishness. And this means that all of us, at one time or another, In certain situations, at certain times, we're the difficult ones. We're the ones causing the people problem. And on top of all that, we've got, we all have different strengths and weaknesses. And I I can look over my life and, and as a family member, as a husband, as a dad, as a pastor, as a leader, as a boss, I have certain things that come very naturally to me. I'm very good at them. Certain things that are tremendous weaknesses and I just can't seem to wrap my mind around them. And in those situations and those things, I'm the difficult one. And then there's other things that I know that I'm totally blind to. And I have to pray, God, would you reveal these blind spots to me and show me where I'm being the difficult one, where I am causing the people problems. So... I'm going to give you some steps of how to deal with difficult people, but I want you to know that not one of these single steps will mean a single thing in your life if you don't first come to a place of humility where you say, at times, I'm the difficult person. At times, I'm the one who never gets it, or I'm always late, or I always say the wrong thing, or it just never clicks, and and maybe if you're sitting there and you can't think of a situation or circumstance where you're the difficult one, that's the problem. You're oblivious to it and everyone's waiting for you to realize where you're the difficult person. So as we ask how to deal with difficult people, the question we're really asking is how do we deal with each other? We're asking how do we address this spiritual problem? And it is a spiritual problem. It's a sin problem. It's a shame problem. It's a selfishness problem. And so we need to look to God's word for the answer. So I'm going to give you six things, four things you must refuse to do, and two things you must do when dealing with difficult people. 
Each step gets a little bit harder than the one before. But let's, let's jump in. Number one, how to deal with difficult people. I must refuse to be offended. When people are rude or insulting, they are revealing themselves. They're not revealing you. And too often we flip that and someone is insulting or rude or mean or difficult with us and we think, well, what is the matter with me? No, 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 that's the wrong question. They're revealing themselves, not you. The question is, what's the matter with them? And that, that really is the question because you have to learn to look past their behavior, what they did, and see what is really the matter with them because everything that we do is driven by some type of motive. And it may be out of fear, or maybe they're feeling insignificant. Maybe they're, they're afraid, or they have, they have a past that's injured them to the point where they're hurting other people. And you've got to say to yourself, what, what is going on behind this behavior that's motivating this? And don't be offended by them. Now listen, there are certain things in life that you should be offended by. Okay, I'm offended by injustice in the world. I'm offended by racism. I am deeply offended by sex trafficking. Okay, there are things happening in the world that you should get righteously angry and offended by. But when it comes to personal relationships, God most often tells us to, to get over it, to move on, to try as much as you can to not be offended by other people. Because if you have a thin skin and everything in life offends you, you're going to live a very unhappy life. But if you have a thick skin and a tender heart, that's where happiness comes. Too many of us have flipped it. Okay, we, have a, we have a thin skin, we have a hard heart. God says, I want you to have a tender heart, have a thick skin. Spiritual maturity, don't miss this, spiritual maturity is largely determined by how you treat those who mistreat you. Spiritual and emotional maturity is largely determined by how you treat those who mistreat you. Do you hurt them back? Do you insult them back? Because if we do, we're no better than they are. Look at Proverbs 12, 16 with me. Fools show their annoyance at once, but the prudent overlook an insult. So, Fools show their annoyance. If everybody at work knows you're upset with your boss, you showed your annoyance at once. If everybody in your life knows that you're upset with someone else, you showed your annoyance at once. But the wise, the prudent, they can overlook an insult. Why do wise people ignore the insult? Because they're looking at the behavior. They're looking past the behavior and looking at the pain. Look at Proverbs 19.11 with me. Sensible people control their temper. They earn respect by overlooking wrongs. If you want to earn respect in the workplace, earn respect in your family, earn respect in an area of life, you're going to have to overlook some wrongs. I'm not talking about crimes. I'm not talking about you know, things like that. But you're going to have to overlook offenses that come your way. So that's the first step. The second step is I don't wait for an apology to forgive them. And many of us have a difficult person in our life who's done something hurtful to us or maybe even worse to someone we love. And I completely recognize that this message on difficult people 
runs much deeper than just someone saying something insulting or offensive to you. Runs much deeper than someone cutting you off on the highway. I mean, there are certain things that have happened to to people in our church family that are deep, deep wounds. And it seems almost impossible to be able to forgive them. And too often we think, well, at least if they could apologize, at least if they'd recognize what they did to me, it would make it easier to forgive. The problem with that is you are holding on to the hurt the whole time you're waiting for them to apologize. And it's eating you up inside. It's killing you. It's cutting off good things in your life. And you have to let go of that resentment. The earlier you can let go of that resentment, the better off you'll be. You can't wait for an apology. And so you can't stew on something while you're waiting for this apology because you may be stewing over something they don't even understand. They don't understand maybe the depth of what happened to you when they did that thing. And you have to let go of that resentment. Resentment will never work. It never will. That's why God commands us to forgive. Does God command us to forgive to give us a hard time? No, he's your creator. He knows how you're wired. He knows how it feels to have horrible things happen to you. He knows how it feels. And he knows that if you do not forgive and you hold on to the resentment, you are doubling down on that wound. You are doubling down on that pain. And that's why he says he... He pleads with you to forgive, to let go of the resentment. Now, forgiving does not mean that you forget it ever happened. You still remember, but you let go of, of the ill wishes you have on them. You let go of the resentment. You let go of, of celebrating when bad things happen to them. You want the best for them. Jesus did this in the most extreme of circumstances. Hanging from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Not every difficult person in your life knows what they're doing. Oftentimes they're responding to their own hidden pain and they're so self-centered they don't even realize what's happened to you in this. So what do you do? Colossians 3 says, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. To make allowance, that means to bear with, to endure. And I'm sorry, but there's some people in your life that you're just going to have to endure. (laughs) You're going to have to just tolerate them. But Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And I want you to have God's blessing in your life, God's mercy in your life. And one of, you, one of the ways you receive that is being merciful to others. So don't wait for an apology to forgive them. We're going to talk a little bit about forgiveness more in this message. I'm doing a whole week on it and you ask for it. Very powerful message on forgiveness. I think it's going to connect with us all. But let's move on to number three. The third one is another thing I must refuse to do. I must refuse to gossip about them. When someone in your life has done the most difficult thing, it's just next to impossible to not just pull out your phone and text somebody that they did this. But it only stirs up the conflict more. Proverbs 16, 28 says, a perverse person stirs up conflict and a gossip separates the closest friends. What is gossip? Gossip is resentment 
And gossip is retaliation. The only difference is you're not talking to them about it, you're talking to somebody else behind their back. And gossip is incredibly destructive. It destroys churches, destroys dream teams, it destroys families, destroys businesses, and it separates the closest of friends. And what we forget when we gossip is when we gossip about this person, they win because they're controlling your conversation and they're controlling your emotion. And while you're gossiping about this person, you're missing out on good opportunities in life and good things you could be doing because you're busy being controlled and letting them win. But God, gossip doesn't work. I mean, can we just all come to a place and recognize that showing up at work and talking about your spouse with everyone at work, it's not working and it hasn't helped your marriage at all. Talking about your friends, talking about a friend with all of your other friends, it's not helping, is it? It's not making things any easier. What does it do? It's destructive and it separates the closest of friends. So one of the ways we receive God's blessing in dealing with difficult people is by refusing to gossip. The fourth thing, another thing I must refuse to do is I refuse to play their game. Difficult people love to argue. They love to debate. And if you fall for this trap, you start thinking, if I could just sit down and have a logical, reasoning conversation with them, if things could just calm down and I could just have a reasonable conversation with them and show them how destructive their behavior is being, the light will come on and everything will be fixed. Here's the problem. The difficult people in your life did not come to their conclusions with reason. They did not get there with logic. They did not get there with facts. They got there how? By emotion. They made their decision based on emotion. And you've got to refuse to play their game. Jesus did not play games with people. The difficult people in Jesus' life were the Pharisees. They were the religious authorities of that day, and they hated Jesus. And they would meet together, and their meetings started to become consumed by how they could scheme against Jesus and trap Jesus. And they were always trying to do it. So they would come up with a question that no matter how he answered, it, it would be damaging to him. And Jesus always found a way out. He refused to play their game. Matthew 22 kind of sums it up. The Pharisees plotted a way to trap him into saying something damaging. Jesus knew they were up to no good. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Why do you try to trap me? He didn't even respond or acknowledge the very thing they probably spent hours trying to work up to bring to him. He says, why are you trying to trap me? He doesn't even play the game. He doesn't even step in to their circle of their game and their scheme. He would not be pulled in. And you need to learn from Jesus and save your breath. Don't play the games. Don't waste your time. This is important because difficult people win when they get your attention. Okay? We all, we all want approval in our lives. And when we can't get approval, we'll settle for attention, good or bad. And you see this in teenagers, all this, you see this on the internet all the time, okay? And never get hooked. 
Someone sends you an email, someone puts a, a comment on your Facebook page, maybe you're scrolling through something else and, and you see a comment that is just horribly destructive, totally wrong, and everything within you wants to just, just write to them and just light them up and tell them the way it is, it doesn't work. The moment you start typing, you're hooked. You're playing their game. Don't play their game. Proverbs 26, 4 says, don't answer the foolish arguments of fools or you will become as foolish as they are. Hmm. Now, what's interesting though is if you keep reading, the very next proverb says, be sure to answer the foolish arguments of fools or they will become wise in their own estimation. What's Solomon, the author of Proverbs, doing here? He's not contradicting himself. He's saying that a wise person knows when to not answer the fools and not be as foolish as they are. But the wise person also knows there's times where the threshold is crossed and there's something that's being attacked so fundamentally to who you are and to who your family is that you can't not respond. That you have to enter in and and you can't let them become wise in their own estimation and let everyone else fall for this deceitfulness and you must respond. So wisdom says beforehand, so before I go into this meeting, before I go to work today, before I encounter this family member, I'm going to make up in my mind before. This is what a wise person does. They don't react to every little thing. They come up with a game plan beforehand. And they say, I'm going to decide right now when those thresholds are crossed, when I'm going to not answer the foolish argument and when I am going to answer. And you have to decide that in the rationale beforehand in your mind. But either way, don't play their game. Don't play their game. Don't get hooked. Don't get sucked in. I mean, if you're a leader or a manager or maybe you're an owner of a small business and you've got a complainer on your team, don't play their game. And don't get sucked into the complaining and solve it as quickly as you can because what happens? One person complaining becomes two persons complaining, becomes three people complaining, becomes four people complaining. All of a sudden, you've got a group of complainers. And maybe you've got a couple that won't complain, but what are they? They're just mad about the complainers. You can't play the game. You've got to solve it early. All right, let's move on. Number five, another thing I must refuse to do, I must refuse to cave in. You refuse to cave in to their demands. You don't allow them to manipulate your life. Now, a lot of Christians, they take this word of forgiveness the wrong way, and, and they think that it just means that I become passive, and I lie down, and I become a doormat, and everybody else gets their way. But that's not really what that is. Because there's an element of trust involved as well. I mean, if a woman's husband is beating her kids and she kicks him out of the house and he comes back that night and asks for forgiveness, should she forgive him? Absolutely. Right in that moment, in that instant. Why? Because God commands her to forgive because she's been forgiven by God. She's going to need forgiveness in the future. And fourth, that resentment in her life she cannot double down on this pain by holding resentment against her, him in her life. Now, when he says, can I come back into the house? That's a different question, and that's a different response and a different story. 
You can't lie down and let your, your family, your kids become a doormat to this volcanic, destructive behavior. Forgiveness is given freely. It's given instantly. Trust is earned over time. There are two different issues. The Bible teaches us not to cave in to difficult people. Let's say you're asked to violate your conscience at work. Someone's going to do something illegal or against the company policy, something that could get you into trouble or something just wrong. What are you going to do? What if they decide to schedule you to where you can no longer attend worship? What are you going to do? What if Christ is being misrepresented to your family and in your family time and time again? What are you going to do? Do not cave in. 1 Corinthians 16, keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute. And what? Love without stopping. Don't give up loving them. Don't give up responding with confidence, strength, and grace. And finally, there's one more thing that you need to know. And I think these steps get progressively harder, don't you? Looking over them. And I think this one, in my life, this is the hardest one of all. And it's to always take the high ground. This is something you must do. Always do the right thing, whether crazy makers and difficult people do it or not. If they insult you, you treat them with kindness. If they're unloving to you, be loving to them. If they resent you, forgive them. If they're mean to you, be nice to them. You always take the high ground no matter what you do. What would it look like in your life? What would it look like in this church's life? If we decided, if you decided, if I decided, (laughs) what that person thinks of me in no way determines what I think about them. What that person does to me and says to me in no way determines what I say or do to them. I think that's spiritual maturity. I think that's the sign of a Holy Spirit, life of Christ living inside of me that says what they do, what they say, even how they think about me in no way will determine how I think about them because I have a higher motive. I'm being driven by something much stronger than their thoughts and emotions and actions. I'm being driven by the life of Christ. Listen, you cannot control what people think about you. You cannot control what people say about you. You cannot control what people do to you, but you can control how you respond. And God says, take the high ground. 1 Peter 3, 9 says, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. So what happens when I actually do what the Bible says to do with these demeaning, destructive, discontented, demanding, disapproving, difficult people in my life? What if I refuse to be offended? What if I don't wait for an apology, and I, but I forgive them? What if I choose not to gossip about them? What if I refuse to play their game? I refuse to cave in. What if I always take the high ground and return love? What happens when you do that? The Bible says you inherit a blessing. Believe me, I know how good it feels to have the best comeback at just the right moment. 
I know how good it feels to figure out how I can do something to them that will repay what they did to me. I know how good it feels to give the insult that was just the perfect, most time, best insult right in the right time. You didn't think of it on the drive on the way home. You thought about it right then. It feels good in a moment. It cuts off a blessing. Cuts off an eternal blessing. And maybe that difficult person, they don't know about the blessing. They didn't hear about the blessing. They don't want the blessing. You know about it and you want it. And how do you get it? You don't repay evil with evil or insult with insult. You don't cave in. You don't play their game. You forgive them. You treat them like Christ would. Now maybe you say today, Ryland, this is all stuff I got to work on. They're the difficult person. Whoa, they should be working on this stuff. How come this is all stuff I got to work on? Well, that's the only thing you've got control over. And that's how the blessing comes. See, there's a motive behind this than just living at peace with someone else. There is something at stake. There's a reward at stake. There's an eternal blessing at stake. And I want you to have that blessing. So let's pray about this. And as as I pray, just follow me along in this prayer. Father, you know the difficult people in my life. You know who they are. You know what they do. God, you know the wounds in my life, things that no one else knows. Of how deeply what that person did hurt me, how it's affecting my life. And so I'm asking that even when they mean to hurt me, God, that you'll use it for good in my life. I want to learn to respond to them the way Jesus does. I want to be spiritually mature. Lord, when people do things that offend me, help me to have a tender heart and tough skin to not get offended by what people say or what they do to me. God, help me to look past the offensive behavior and see the fear or the hurt or the pain, the insecurity in their life. Give me wisdom in my relationships so I can have patience. And God, right now, Without even their asking, I forgive the difficult person in my life. Would you just do that right now in your seat in this very moment? God, I forgive them. I release my resentment against them. And just feel the peace and the freedom come over your life. God, I ask you to help me to not retaliate with gossip give me the strength to stand strong where I need to stand strong to not let other people manipulate me Father I am tired of playing games I'm tired of caving in give me the courage to speak up to stand up for what's right and in all of my responses help me to take the high ground to show love to return good for evil Lord there's no way I can do this on my own So Jesus Christ, I need the power of your spirit to help me. God, I ask you to come into every area of my life and help me this week. It's through Jesus' name we pray. Amen.